Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. True Hauntings is a frightfully good production. In the town of Runcorn, England, back in 1952, when faced with suspicions of a teenager faking a poltergeist case, several methods were considered to uncover the truth. One option involved continuously monitoring the teenager by placing a video camera on him around the clock. Another approach was to securely bind him with packing tape. However, it was ultimately decided by John Glyn Jones's friends to employ yet another method, whereby they chose to just sit on him in an effort to eliminate any possibility of him employing deceptive tricks to frighten them. Hi, I'm Renata. And I'm Anne. And in this episode of the True Hauntings podcast, we head to Runcorn, England to examine another interesting poltergeist case that had the hardworking, straight-laced people of the area considering whether demons had invaded their town. Anne and Renata have been investigating paranormal occurrences for the past 20 years. They have been at the center of various unexplained phenomena and have witnessed countless ghostly experiences. The duo now turn to high-profile cases that have attracted the eyes of the world. Between the dimensions we see and the dimensions we don't, supernatural forces are at play. Evil lurks within the shadows of our homes and in the darkest corners of our minds. It follows us like a shadow forever. This is where nightmares become reality. This is True Hauntings. British home aghast at psychic ghosts. London, October 15. Ghost debunkers today were baffled by the strange occurrences in a Lancashire home where for the past six weeks furniture and other objects have been moving about mysteriously. It looked like a simple case when the ghost hunters first were asked to investigate the house of Sam Jones' family in the town of Runcorn. Poltergeists, mischievous spirits, are always traced to mischievous boys or girls. They noted there was a 16-year-old youth lodging there, so they kept a close watch on young John Glynn. 
psychic experts had to go a long way back in their literature to the poltergeist of Derry Gonelli in Ireland in 1877 before they could find a more perplexing case. So they asked young Glyn to come down to London and undergo tests in the next few weeks to determine whether he is abnormally psychic. What is unusual about the Runcorn poltergeist is that it performs at any hour and is not shy of a witness. A neighbour, John Berry, who spent a night in the house with Glynn, reported, Things started to happen just before midnight. There was the rumbling of moving furniture and I was lifted off the bed and put on the floor. Another neighbour, Harold Crowther, said he placed his overcoat on the dressing table, which has figured in many of the occurrences, and said, If you don't want it, give it to me. It was thrown back, he said. Police, spiritualists, the church and psychic investigators have been prowling the house without any clue to the origin of the disturbances. Psychic News publication of the Spiritualist said the poltergeist threw a Bible at the Reverend W. H. Stevens of the Methodist Circuit. Hi Anne and welcome back to the studio. Oh, it'd be great if I had my microphone in front of me. Well, I just dodged sideways <laughs> to grab the mic. Hi, Renata, and hi to everyone who's joining us for yet another potty. Yes, I hope you enjoy this one. Um, I can't even remember how I came across this, no, but in, in most in most cases, you come across these things because you're reading something else, and then there is something there that goes, ooh, this one might be interesting. Yep, which and we actually found another one by reading this one. Yep. Absolutely. So we go down this rabbit hole. So um, I'm hoping that you do enjoy this one. I know I had uh, an interesting time doing some research on this. I know you did too. So I hope everyone that's listening gets a, a, a bit of a, a, a hoot. Out of, nanny. out of uh, this particular poltergeist And story. I think it's going to be a bit of a conversation more than the, the normal way we do it. Yes, yeah, because information is all over the place. Yep. And we've just got to run with it. This one starts in mid-August 1952. So it's something older than me. That's great. And it happened in a place called Runcorn, which is located... Uh, on the Manchester Ship Canal on the Mersey River in northwest England. Oh, I'm having a. Um, oh, who's who does that song about Mersey? Um, oh, I don't know. Rod Stewart. No, there's there's probably a it's few. Another then. one. All right. Yeah. Now, this is a town that is known for its shipbuilding and production of chem- chemicals and an old castle, but it's really known for more than that. And I'm going to go back to its beginnings just. A little, because I wanted to know whether there was anything that could have sparked some paranormal activity in this place. And surely with the long histories that are associated with all of these areas in England, there's got to be something. Was there a Native American (laughs) girl? No, no. (laughs) But I've got to say, (laughs) I've got to say, uh, in this horrid, horrid thing that I watched um, on YouTube uh, where this couple was um, investigating You're going to have to listen to Dory for Ghost Hunter to work this out. (laughs) I I was just blown away when one of the people in the couple mentioned uh, is there an Indian burial ground? (laughs) 
You got the giggles? And I just burst out laughing going, oh, my goodness. Uh, that's an hour of your time you're never going to get back. No, it's not, but it was worth watching. So the word runcorn is an old English word and it is made up of rum, which means wide or broad, and kofa, which means cave or cove. There are other historical spellings of runcorn and they include rum coven, ronchestorn, runkhorn and runcorn with an E. Fascinating. Fascinating. It also has some connections to... uh, when Vikings came and raided and looted the area. Oh. So Runcorn was founded by Ethel Frieda. Ethel oh, Frieda. Oh, you go, Ethel. Oh, Ethel uh, founded the, something. The I love eldest it. child of King Alfred the Great. She was a woman in charge. She was a woman. She was a woman in charge. Oh, in charge, right, okay. In 1915 AD. Wow. That's a big bloody thing for a woman to do. And I, Hang I th- on, 1915? I mean, sorry, 915. Sorry, Nine. 915 Take that AD. one away. Yeah. 915 AD. Um, that's rarely because she was the oldest child yeah. of um, King Alfred the Great. But good on you, Ethel Frieda. You go, Ethel. Ethel, Ethel Ethel Fleeder, Ethel Fleeder. Oh, no, that sounds... That's a bad name. <laughs> it was made up of two names, one Alfred and the other th- person who's not that I'm important. I'm going to be going Ethel Fleeder. I, I can't. No, this won't do it. All right, go on. Keep going. So Runcorn was an, a fortification to guard against more Viking invasions as uh, at a narrowing of the River Mersey. And under Norman rule, Runcorn fell under the barony of Holton and an Augustinian abbey was established here in 1115. Oh, there's so an abbey. So <laughs> we do have an abbey and we do have monks. Yes. They're not mentioned in this story, but hey, let's throw it in. Yep. Oh, I might be able to link it later on. I'll see. It may be. There is, it's it's supposed to be a beautiful township. And, and I'm kind of just building this thing of this place because sometimes we we forget to mention the place where all of these things happen. And I know probably around the 1950s when this was going on, it was a very, um, a place where everyone was working hard on the shipyards and, you know, these were people who went to work and came home, yep. stopped at the pub to have a beer and then did that literally every Had day. Had their meat and three veg. Yeah, so that, that yeah. was it. We forget that there are people that lived in these areas and had lives and it just becomes a ghost story. Mm. Yes, yep. There is the Runcorn Bridge, which kind of looks a little bit like um, our Sydney Harbour Bridge, but a oh. lot smaller. Same, oh, really? sort of, same sort of style. Yeah, same sort of archway okay. style. There's the Norton Priory Museum and Gardens and the largest excavated monastic site in Europe Ooh. with a giant St. Christopher statue. That's, your, that's what you want. Patron um, saint of, of the Traveller, if I remember correctly. Yeah, he was excommunicated for a while and then they brought him back. Oh, he was um, well, he, he was a saint? He How was. How can he be excommunicated and, or did they discover he I'm, didn't do what he, they... I'm not sure. I, I, I know I looked mm. it up and I know that he was unsainted for a while. Wow. And uh, then they brought him back. I don't know. There's a canal and, of course, the Manchester Ship Canal. Now, these things all made up to make Runcorn a township of the people, for the people, and... They really were supported by the shipyard. So I can only imagine what's going on there now. Yeah. 
Do they have good scones and clotted cream? That's the oh, important question. Maybe someone from Runcorn can tell us. <laughs> All of this was exclusively confined to one small house at 1 Byron Street. So you didn't have the neighbours saying that they were having things happen. It was all at 1 Byron Street in Runcorn. And the people that lived there were John, his sister Eileen Glynn, their grandfather Sam Jones, a 68-year-old widower, uh, Sam's sister-in-law Lucy Jones and another woman in her mid-50s who was a spinster that was lodging at the home I will mention her a little bit later on because she may or may not have something to do with all of this. The story revolves around 17-year-old John, maybe 16, maybe 15. Maybe 18. (laughs) Depending on what you read. Around that time. (laughs) Pardon me. He was an apprentice draftsman at the Imperial Chemicals Industries at West Point Power Station. So he had a good job. He was an apprentice. He was going to become, you know, a a master. Mm -hmm. He was well behaved by all accounts. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was slightly built and he had a quiet disposition. So this You've got to watch the quiet ones. Yeah, and, and look... But this made the job that he chose for himself perfect. He yep. wasn't out working uh, and doing welding or anything like that. He was working with his mind. He was very serious about studying to become a full-fledged draftsman, and that would have given him a really good qualification. And there was nothing there to suggest that he ever, ever thought about ghosts or any sort of paranormal activity. It wasn't hmm. something that he was interested in at it, all. It wasn't something that was around at the time. Mm. Mm. I, I look, I do have to put a little caveat in here. Well, it's not really a caveat, but uh, if you hear some funny noises in the background, one of my dogs is snoring loudly. <laughs> <laughs> the first disturbances began when the family received a visit from Lucy Jones's son and his wife. They came to stay for a week uh, from North Wales. This made their little house so crowded and, of course, they wanted to make space for, for um, As you, do you know, with son and his wife and the guests. So John had to share a double bed with his grandfather, Sam. That would not have been pleasant, but it was something that wouldn't have been unusual for these people. Yeah. Uh, because they were all living in small houses. Yeah. Lucy and John's sister, Eileen, had to also share another bed in the same room. And when they had all climbed into bed and were trying to fall asleep... All of a sudden, something really strange started to happen. Did something pop up? <laughs> no, no. A dressing table in the room started to make noises. Oh. <laughs> uh, the, those noises started to grow louder and, of course, started to frighten the people who were in that particular bedroom. This, this was a plain wooden dressing table that had stood in the same spot for 30 odd years. Nothing had ever happened to it. Nothing weird. Nothing weird. And all of a sudden you get rattle, rattle, shake, shake, rattle, rattle. That beautiful description. Yes. That that would have been pretty weird. Yeah. It would have been really weird. They would probably thought there was rats or something. Yeah. Well, that's what they did. Yeah. They thought they got up. Yeah, during the day, had had a good look at it, pulled out all the drawers, thought, okay, if we see rat poo, we know what's going on. Didn't really <laughs> find anything, being very graphic. Yep. Uh, but the noises started up again. 
and the family checked the dressing table yet again and found nothing to make this happen. Rattle, rattle, Mm. shake, shake, rattle, rattle. Now, the next day or so, these things started to happen. There was more. Sh- there was more rattling. There was more shaking. But now, the dressing table was starting to move. Uh oh! It was starting to drift in the room, and it moved more than a foot, under a meter, away from the wall, apparently, of its own volition. I just had a little thought. It didn't even hurt. I wonder if it's because they had so many people in the house now that the house was groaning in pain. Mm, Maybe. Because in that one bedroom, if I've got it right, they had um, the the teenage boy, granddad, daughter-in-law, the eight-year-old Elaine. So Elaine. Eileen. Eileen. (laughs) Elaine. It could be Elaine. Yeah. Hang on, whichever one it was. so that's a lot of people to go from uh, two people sharing that yes. room to have all of a sudden five sharing that room. I still don't think a doesn't dress- make the no. dresser go shadow. No, I don't shake, think shake, so. Shake, rattle, no. rattle, shake, shake. No. no, okay. I don't know why they picked on young John and thought that he was the one that was causing all of these issues because I would have thought that he, being the quiet one, would not have even ventured into the picture of yeah, suspicion. But I, I think a 17 or well, however old he was, they're at that stage in life that they're, they're trying to stretch their boundaries, become a man themselves, stand on their own two feet. He's got a job. Um, maybe he had some pent-up angst in there. They would have to understand the whole thing about poltergeists. Yeah. Uh, and to put the finger on him very first... I, if I was John, I'd be really upset about it. So that would actually start me off. Yeah, kick it off. <laughs> it, that would kick it off. Uh, they tried everything. So they grilled him about it and they tried to check whether he was pulling pranks mm-hmm. and whether he had set up uh, the dressing table with strings or, you know, anything for, for movement or to try to do something magical, see if he had time to do that, honestly. Um <laughs> They, they found nothing, right? And we're talking about a slight little 17-year-old boy. He wasn't a big burly boy. He was, he was slight. Sam Jones had lived in this house for 35 years without any problems. The old dressing table had always been quiet. And while he was sitting on top of John... Excuse me? Do you want to put that into context? Well, remember when they tried they tried to sit on him? They yes. they, they so part of the experiment they were doing is that they would sit on him. It's just all of a sudden the conversation we've got when Granddad was sitting on John or whoever it was. Yes, <laughs> context, they, Renata. They tried to hold him down. Yep, and they tried to, uh, I guess, um, ta- um, taunt the dressing table. By going, come on, come show on, me. Table. Come on. Oh, we do that too, though. Come on, table. <laughs> show me. Show me what you can show do. Show us what you've got. And unfortunately, they they even sealed the drawers of yeah. the dressing table with adhesive tape and everything, and they still started to rattle. Uh, the mirror started to swing back and forth. And no matter what they tried with poor John, uh, these things kept on happening. Now, they got the police involved. The police came over and they could not solve the riddle 
either. They tried to set a trap for John, uh, also, you know, trying to trick him out. Um, and it, it just didn't seem to be the thing that John was in charge of here. As at this point in time, this yeah. is this is what it was, and even the police were thrown about. So there was one policeman that had an issue um, with what was happening. There were many many people who saw all of this happen. At this was, and I tried to get a hold of these newspapers, but again, you have to sort of pay to be um, able to get into these newspaper um, archives. This was literally uh, something that was um, a, a running investigation in the Runcorn local rag for weeks and weeks. So every about three times a week, everyone would get an update of what was going on. Uh, I wonder if in they accused house. The, um, John of this in the newspaper, because mm. then he would have been copying absolute poop from people in the town. Yes. And They'd be it, throwing holy water on him. And what about his job? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the first thing they'd do is start ripping him off. Absolutely. Pointing the bone. Absolutely. Now, a total of 14 or probably more people saw uh, paranormal uh, activity within the house. There's probably much more. And that included movement of furniture, smashing of china. Uh, there was a woman visiting from Sutton, and she said that her husband's spectacle case was tossed across the room. Uh, there were noises in the furniture. Movements continued for about 10 weeks in total. The Guardian newspaper closely followed this case and it eventually made it onto the wire services and around the world. And this is when people started to write in letters with offers of advice of how to get rid of this poltergeist and what now people started to call a demonic possession. Of course. And many of the writers recommended an exorcism. Oh, and we know they work beautifully. Mm. And so there were also other well wishes along with people who were just curious that would show up at the Joneses' house, um, as we've heard of in many other cases, and say, let me in. I really want to see what's going on. Now, a spiritual medium, uh, Mr. Francis, was called in, but I reckon you're going to talk about him. Mm -hmm. um, we I had... actually couldn't find a lot about him as a person, but I can tell you what happened mm -hmm. with him. Yep. Um, I'm just going to go to what else I have. And just before you carry on um, your Are you bit. saying I carry on? <laughs> carry on your I bit. do carry on, I just I? want to mention the spinster that oh, I mentioned. I hate right that word. I'm very... just going to say. I hate it. <laughs> it's terrible, isn't it? Her name was Miss Whittle. Oh, I'm Miss Whittle. And uh, she died in October 1952. And she fell off a cliff known as Frog's Mouth um, on the in the local area of Runcorn. she fell or whether it was something else. Mm -hmm. oh. She lived with the family for quite some time. It all sounds as though she was minding her own business. But whether she's associated with this or not, we will get to in the end. Now, there's another little twist here, and I'm just going to mention 53 pigs. Yes. And that John Glynn was responsible for them. So John... The, the person who is in the centre of all of the, this. The teenage grandson. Mm -hmm. He was responsible for these 53 pigs. So you're going to tell the story about that? I will. Yep, okay. All right. Well, you head on with some of the stuff that you know about this and let's keep chatting about it. Okay, my turn.
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So... We've, we face a lot of issues with this particular topic in that it was it happened in the 1950s, mm-hmm. yeah? Yep. Uh, with people who have um, different thoughts and belief systems on what might be happening based mm-hmm. on the knowledge. And they're, they're, I don't think there was that much knowledge. On, is, is there that much knowledge even now? Do we even now know what is going on? But people love their ghost stories. They do. There was not... A paper published that didn't have some sort of a ghost story going on. Yeah. So people would have lapped this up like there was no tomorrow. This is true. All right. Well, I'm going to go through some of the things that you've mentioned, but we it's a historical case. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing that we can look at that is relatively new. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned Philip Francis, who was the psychic. Yes. They've brought them in to try and work out what is going on. Uh, I'm finding different scenarios on what actually happened. Mm -hmm. Uh, They say that he was asked to conduct a seance. Uh, He was a spiritualist medium. uh, And there was this other weird reference that I got up here as well. You know how you were talking about people were getting offers of um, it hit the newspapers and they were offering different suggestions on how to do things and one of them was a seance one of the things that came was a letter from Germany enclosing a formula for an exorcism Mm -hmm. but unfortunately the envelope had been opened in transit and one of the four vital pieces of paper was missing how weird that is just why would why would anyone open that? It's just odd. Very odd. 
But anyway, sorry, I, I digress already. So they they had this seance and it seemed to, well, I have one story that says uh, at first it seemed that it was a success in calming down whatever it was that plagued the family. For three weeks after the seance, all was normal and the Joneses assumed their ordeal was over. But their nocturnal phenomena returned with a vengeance. Mm-hmm. The dresser drawer resumed its nighttime hoppings and bangings and objects continued to fly through the darkness. And the bulk of the disturbances were happening at night when all the lights were off which is what we're making people suspicious. But let me let me get back on to the other report. So that report came from strangeco.blogspot.com. Now, this report that I have here in regards to the seance comes from somewhere. I can't see it. Anyway, it said, at one stage of spiritualist medium, Mr. Francis was called in and a seance held, but they only seemed to make matters worse. So... The other one is saying that they had their problem solved. They had three weeks of peace. But this one is saying it got worse. Two Bibles, a picture book, a tin of ointment and a table cover were thrown about the bedroom in front of witnesses. They do say there was a quiet period, which allowed the family to catch up on some sleep. But early in September, the ghost returned with a vengeance. Uh, One witness reported a clock and several other items moved a distance of five feet across the bedroom in his presence. Now, once again, it's done in the dark. So are they really sure how it was thrown? Well, there were some things that they tried to do to see what it was. So as you were saying in your report, they uh, they sat on him. They literally had people physically sit on him to see if the phenomena would happen. And the other thing they did was they taped him mm-hmm. to see if the phenomena happened. Mm-hmm. And apparently it did. I do have a bomb drop to come in a little bit later, but I've got some more fuel to add to the fire before I I do that. Now, the family actually labelled the uh, poltergeist and gave him a name. Did you know that? Yes. Brutus. Brutus. I always worry when they give them names because it's sort of almost like they're taking on an identity. The other phenomena that was happening in there is that they were seeing balls of bright light beginning to drift through the house. Mm-hmm. Now, when we look at that, we what's the phenomena that we call that? Ball lightning. Mm-hmm. Is there some sort of energy within the house that is generating these balls of light? Are they seeing the balls of light through camera lenses? Then we know what that is. Mm-hmm. Demons. Uh, but once again, it's this, the fact that it's all done in the 1950s and we've got no way of finding out these little bit of details which might help with the story. And cameras at that time would have been the big, yeah, bulky ones. When and... you said they had a camera on him the whole time, I'm thinking, hang on, that's the 1950s. Yeah. That's not a little handy cam. No, what the hell was no. on him that was trying to see what was going on? Now, there was also a report from a friend And the friend, this comes from the astro.com, report of Thomas Barrow, and the report says, as a friend of the late John Glynn, I was 18 at the time and was serving in the army, but had lived in Byron Street all my life. I came home on leave in August 1952, and John and his friend, and my friend John Berry, of the adjoining Pickhouse Street, 
asked me to stay in the bedroom concern to which I agreed. I went down on four nights during that week and witnessed the destruction of the furniture and the police sitting on a single bed and being lifted a couple of feet up in the air and being dropped down after which they promptly departed. (laughs) While staying with the two Johns, we asked the spirit to give his name by tapping twice as they went through the alphabet and it tamed it tapped out the name Juju. Juju. J-U-J-U, which is an African witch doctor. I noticed each night I was there that Miss Whittle, the spinster, slept in the adjoining room, but it never seemed to disturb her. Miss Whittle died in October 1952 by falling off a cliff, and we know about that. Mm -hmm. So that was a very interesting Yes. Recollection. So obviously this has happened after John has passed and he's recalling his life as a teenager. Mm-hmm. Now, there's one more important thing I should mention about the Thomas Barrow, and that is to do with Ellen, Ellen Whittle, who fell off the cliff. It is said... Hold on, hold on, Ellen. Oh, uh, yes, sorry. Uh, yeah, well, I, don't I didn't we, know. Her, yeah, Miss Whittle. Miss Whittle. Miss Whittle. Yes. Yes, uh, yeah, she... Uh, had a fatal accidental fall off the cliff. Once that happened, the phenomena seemed to dry up. Yes. So what what's happened there? Because the, the biggest suspicions was John Glynn, the, mm-hmm. the 17 or however old he was, yeah. um, being the, the prime hoaxer of the whole thing. But then we've got this other woman that when she dies it all stops it all stops but she'd been living there for quite some time why didn't anything happen prior to that particular time in august when it all started i could make stuff up about um why john was under duress and maybe why the poltergeist phenomena started up but that would be making up stuff that i have no evidence about whatsoever Mm Um, and I'm just going to let your imaginations run with that because it's supposed to be teenagers under duress yes. uh, that this kicks off the poltergeist activity. Mm. Was Ms. Whittle thinking that oh. she was going to be kicked out of the house because... Well, there was the rest, a lot of people in there. The rest uh, of the family was coming to live? Well, they, it didn't say they were coming to live. It said... They just visited. Yeah, they just visited mm. and they all had to move into the other room. But I don't know how she could be so quiet about the situation with so many people living in the house that she has to share a kitchen and bathroom with. And she's paying. She's, She's paying. a paying person. Mm. 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 But then she's an elderly person. Does she have... Does she get that sassied up about it that she's, you know, oh, creating things happening? Just like you, Renata. I can't imagine you get sassied up about anything <laughs> in life. You tell me. No. Is it possible? It, oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. All right. Now. Let's bring on the professionals, shall we? Yes. Uh, Later in September, after all the violent happenings were going on, um, John was lifted out of his bed, deposited on the floor, and at this stage they brought in the Society of Psychical Research um, to have a look at what was going on. So they invited some members to come and observe the phenomena themselves. Now, one member of whom they brought in was the Reverend W.H. Stevens, a local Methodist minister who was appointed the society's official investigator. 
That's right. Official. uh, It always, always. Hmm. This is really interesting because you've got the centre, the centre, the centre society for psychical research, psychical research, and yet they appoint a member of the cloth. Interesting, isn't it? Uh Yeah. And maybe they were bringing him in to uh, dispel this whole demon thing or to encourage it. I don't know. But what happened when he entered the house? You should ask. What happened when he entered the house then? The poor old reverend was smacked in the head by a dictionary. Oh, I love a what a way to welcome someone into the house. But I did read somewhere else that it was Bibles that he got hit with, but maybe that was just someone trying to stir up a little bit of, you know, oopty nanas, <laughs> as I like to call them. <laughs> All right, so... There were other people that came to investigate too, and I'm just trying to work out when I I drop the other one because the other story that I've got is actually to do with Reverend Stephen's report. But I might tell you about one other investigator that uh, wrote a book, and uh, that was sort of very interesting as well. There was a paranormal researcher, Richard Whitt- Whittington Egan, wrote that the noisy spirit would wait until nightfall and pelt the boy's bedroom with items like clocks and rocking furniture. He goes on to to tell these bits and pieces, but there was um, someone called uh, Jeffrey Pearson who wrote the book Haunted Places of Cheshire, who interviewed this particular person uh, and came up with some more interesting things. Right, so he was the one that said, now I've just got to get this right, Whittington Egan then persuaded the occupants of the house to let him stay at the afflicted house to see the ghost's activities for himself. Now, he reported to the author of this book uh, that Egan used a torch to spot one of the boys moving his arm just after a clock had smashed against the wall. Whittington Egan asked the boys if he could tie their hands and legs to see if the poltergeist activity continued while they were restrained, and apparently they refused and the poltergeist activity ceased in December. Now, Renata, you may hear me saying an important word in there that you haven't heard before. Do you know what it was? You, you don't know? You don't know? No, but well, there seems to be two now hello. instead of one. Let me read you the report. Okay, so when did this second one happen? Oh, so oh, is this oh. from the time when the boys came to stay? This is in August and September 1952. Right? Yeah, okay. yeah, yep, yep. I'm just going to read to you here. The Reverend W.H. Stevens visited the home. Uh, the events occurred in a room occupied by Jones's 17-year-old grandson and an 18-year-old friend. Mm. Now... Is this the 18-year-old friend who... who um, not the witness report. Not the witness report. No. Because there were two others. He did mention two others. There were There were two Johns, him and somebody else. But they are saying... These boys shared a room. Oh. So, let me keep reading here. After a thorough investigation had been made of the room, the two boys retired to bed at 11.30pm. Soon after the light had been switched off and all was quiet, the dressing table creaked loudly and then moved. It began to shake and rock. Immediately, the light was switched on and movement ceased. 
By this time, several people had entered the room. I pushed the table back into the corner and on extinguishing the light, it began to creak and was promptly pushed back again about six feet. Addressing the table, I said, if you can hear my voice, knock three times. Immediately, it began to shake vigorously. One, two, and on the third shake, I shone my torch. Simultaneously, someone switched on the light. All in the room saw the rocking table with no one near it. The shaking continued for about three seconds. The two boys were lying in bed wrapped in their clothes. I went to see if the table would rock on its own accord, but it was firm on the floor. On another occasion, Stevens placed some objects on the table, including a jigsaw puzzle and in front of it two books. The table was out of reach of Johnny Berry, the friend. Uh-huh. So there's your other John who uh-huh. always lay on that side of the bed. Mm-hmm. So that sounds like they've been there for a while. Standing near in the dark with no other person in that room, that part of the room, and quite close to the table, the contents of the table began to hurl themselves across the floor. Eventually, I heard the two books fly across and the rattle of the jigsaw in the box. That was what I was waiting for, and straight away I shone my my torch. The jigsaw was travelling across the room, rising about seven feet in the air. The two boys were well covered in the clothes in the exact position as they had been when the light was switched off. Another visitor, J.C. Davis, described the box as being almost in suspension above the bed, almost as if it was being carried with directional intent. Now, where do we go with that information? So that was from the book Poltergeist, or sorry, The Poltergeist by William G. Roll, when that's got a forward by J.B. Ryan. Mm. When did this, why was this (laughs) second boy never mentioned as being permanent in this house? Again, it's got to be speculation on my behalf that maybe they didn't want it known that um, or they had a lodger because they had a lodger in the other room. Ah. Was he a lodger? Right. And they didn't and want like, anyone to know. But Or there was something else going on that they didn't want them to know about, mm-hmm. which once again could have caused anxiety, particularly if somebody else in the house knew. Mm. And look, none of this is written anywhere in evidence. Mm-hmm. We we can't say for sure that this is gospel truth. Mm-hmm. Not that the gospel's truth. Oh, sorry, that was no. my outside <laughs> voice. Oops, did I do that again? Look, the bloody Bible's been written, rewritten so many times. We we don't know, but some of these little elements sort mm-hmm. of slip into place to fit what is obviously my bias. <laughs> mm. I I don't know. Interesting. So as if we're not confused by that enough, let's just add another layer of what the duck is going on. Uh, You did mention that there was pigs involved. Mm -hmm. Yes. So there was a story that has sort of come up at the same time about a mysterious cloud and the demise of some pigs. A lot of pigs. A lot of pigs. 53 pigs. 53 pigs mysteriously died. Crowther and his wife began seeing a form resembling a large black cloud with two prongs sticking out of the back, hovering over the farm. 
Uh, so they're wondering if that might have been some sort of manifestation. But there's also the farmer's wife who claimed that uh, she had seen... Oh, now, where was that? She'd been attacked by a seven-foot-tall black cloud that vanished when a light was turned on. You know who that was? That was the monk. I told you I could tie it in. I told you. There is a connection between the house and Harold Crowther and this farm, but not who you think. It was Sam Jones that worked on the farm. The father. The father. The grandfather. The grandfather. Yes. Yes. Uh, there was also something else that, oh, now, the, something they saw. Oh, that's right. The farmer also said he saw the cloud follow the poltergeist's original victim, John Glynn. So that's the grandson, the 17-year-old, mm-hmm. down the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it because they had heard everything about this boy and um, it made sense to them that... The pigs died because, because he had infected them in some or, way or um, it was his demonic thing that's following <clears throat> him that has now inflicted this. This is almost like the whole witch yes. craze where if the milk curdled, it was because yep. of the witch or yep. if an animal died, it was because of the witch. Yep. But we know now in today's society that there are diseases that come through and will kill off yes and quite quickly animals mm-hmm. the 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 horses that we've had we had some sort of equine thing that went through the horses there at one stage we've got something going through the bees at the moment the wombats mm-hmm. there's that as well so we know that that can happen but is this just um a hysteria type of thing that associated that with them. Did this cloud exist? Uh, was Were they cloud divining? I don't know. Mm. So this is where it becomes complicated because we have firstly John, the young teenager. Yep. Then onto the scene become uh, comes this mysterious other boy. That, yes. That has Nobody come, else seems to mention. Come out of nowhere, but apparently he's sleeping or lodging at, at the house. In the same bed? In the same bed. Which is supposed to be shared with the grandfather, so I'm confused about that too. <laughs> yes. There, no, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> no, but you could imagine them, yeah. In yeah. that day and age, you there are some things that they would never have mentioned in public but went on behind closed doors. Yeah, but also in families, they did share beds. Yeah, it's, they did. There was, there were, you know, it wasn't as luxurious as we have now where we're changing mattresses every couple of years because they get and know, this a was, bit funky. This was a, a time of hardship as well. Absolutely. It was a time of um, uh, hard times. Mm-hmm. That's the best I can say. So, so we've got John. We've got this other John. We've got Mrs. Miss Whittle, Miss Whittle, that um, now she dies mysteriously and everything stops. Um, and we have Sam, who is now Granddad. thrust into all of this because he's allegedly maybe the person that's brought the devil over to kill 53 pigs. Yeah, but but they've associated that with the, the grandson. Yes, they've... They've mingled these two stories, which may have nothing to do with each other, but through consequence, through the fact that it's the same family, they've brought it together. So in the end, what is the truth? We actually don't know. We will never know. It's really quite confounding, the whole thing. Um, 
This is one of the most interesting stories. It, it turned into a really interesting case. There wasn't a huge amount of information, but when you find things that really contradict or suddenly something else appears mm. that nobody else is talking about, you wonder, hang on, what's going on? That They're covering that up or is that fabricated? Yes, Yes. Uh, I would love to get my hands on those newspaper articles that appeared but over the weeks. can you even trust them? <sighs> because, you know, yeah, newspapers absolutely. do like to sensationalise things and make a bigger story out of it what it was. Think of the Highgate vampire and all that yeah. that was going on. It, it, the, the interesting thing about it, though, is that it gives you a dateline to follow and it, it, maybe you can piece some things in if you have a broader brushstroke over this particular story. And, and it only happened over 10 weeks. Yes. <laughs> Crazy. It did. So, Renata, is it a true haunting? I Honestly, if, if these things were occurring as said, this is extremely interesting Yeah, there to is. Me. There are witnesses. Yes, lots um, of witnesses. And it sounds like there was enough light for them to be able to discern what's going. I don't think yeah. in those days they could make the rooms pitch black like they do in a physical mediumship seance. So they must be able to see something. And I don't think the boys were smart enough to be able to make these things move um, without being able to have wires or ropes or something being found, police being shoved off a bed, all of that sort of stuff is is very um, uh, something that can happen if someone has a lot of um, abilities, yeah. paranormal abilities. And there's also this researcher, the paranormal researcher, Richard Whittington Egan, which you don't hear much about him being there to look at things. And, of course, he solves it all by seeing a flash, you know, the hand yes. move in the flashlight. Yes. which so that could be anything. That, that sounds like to me like he's trying to show to people, this is nothing, what I don't know, it's all, yeah. all bull dust. Yeah. So, yeah I'm, no. I'm going to have to say I'm intrigued and this could yeah. be a, a real possible poltergeist it case. It could be a real poltergeist case, which would have been fabulous to study. Anyway, that brings us to the end of this one. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. If you'd like to support our work, don't forget you can buy us a coffee. See the link uh, below for how you can do that. Just search buy a coffee and or buy us a, buy me a coffee, Anne and Renata. Mm-hmm. Or you can become a Patreon and become one of our grand poo bars and get the secret sauce. I can't talk anymore. Uh, but we'll leave it here for this week and we'll be back hopefully next week. Now, if there are, is an episode missing at any stage, do not panic. We'll be back. We've just run out of time to get them all recorded before we head off to Germany and Prague. We're going to try our best. We're going to do our best, guys. But thanks for being here with us and thanks for supporting us. Bye. Bye. See you on the dark side. Yes, stay spooky. Be frightfully good. Bye. (laughs) Thank you for listening to this episode of True Hauntings. If you like the show, give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. For more on Anne and Renata, follow at Anne and Renata on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Or visit their website, www.annandrenata.com. <laughs>